Welcome to Antimatterpod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Artica and Liz. Today we're discussing Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Season 2, Episode 7, Under the Cloak of War. Remember back when we talked about the Broken Circle and I said I've been waiting for that episode since 2018? Yes. I have been waiting for this episode since 2018. This is this is the episode that the Broken Circle promised us. Yes, yes. And as the only people in the world who loved season one of Discovery Best, I am so delighted and I'm so impressed that Strange New Worlds of all series was, was able to tell this story. And naturally it seems wildly unpopular with the fandom, uh, but that's because we're doomed to be right and stand alone in our rightness. That's right. Yeah. Everyone is wrong except for us. I promised a brief discussion of tone last week. And I want to start this episode with that because it is one of the complaints I've seen a great deal Mm. that there was the sort of sitcom hijinks of charades Mm. followed by a, a pretty standard episode of Star Trek in uh, Lost in Translation, although also horror elements. Yes. And then we had, of course, the crossover episode, which is ridiculous. Yes. In, in all the right ways. And now we have a deep <laughs> war drama mm. that is hard to get through in one sitting. Yes. And next week is a musical. But... Annika, I keep seeing people say that the best thing about Deep Space Nine was that they would stop the war for an episode about baseball, that In the Pale Moonlight was followed by His Way. Are you saying that fandom is applying a different standard to modern Trek? That could not possibly happen. Weird. (laughs) I am shocked. What I said in our Discord was, I love that because Mm. that's the way my brain works. Yes. I don't sit in one genre and just live out my life there. (laughs) I hop from place to place, either in reality or in the fantasies inside my head. Mm. And therefore, it feels more realistic to me. And I think it's a little crazy to call Strange New Worlds of all Star Treks realistic in any sense (laughs) of the word. However, in this particular very niche understanding... Yes. I find it extremely realistic that it has no interest Mm. in containing a tone at all. (laughs) My personal feeling is that I don't like jumping from tone to tone and I would prefer that it did not. But at the same time, that was the promise inherent in this episodic series and I don't understand why people are complaining about it when they were so delighted to have an episodic trek. And honestly, I think people are complaining because this is a complex and ambiguous episode that requires you to pay attention and to mm-hmm. think. And you can't just sit back and be gently washed away in a sea of Easter eggs and canon references. I think that this is the most mature episode mm. of Strange New Worlds. It is the most thoughtful episode. It is the one where I think every decision that was made in this episode was made on purpose. Yes, which we don't often say about this series. <laughs> which we don't, we 
don't often say. But this one felt very deliberate in its plotting, in its pacing, in the flashback sequences, mm. in the music choices. And there were tonal differences even in this episode. Yes. That it would go from one scene to the next scene. And yet there was a blur between them. And I thought, again, that it felt like it was supposed to be that way, that they were saying something yes. with even the camera work and the musical cues. Mm. I think even the detail of Pike preparing jambalaya, which was Cisco's signature dish. Excuse me. Right. I joked in our Discord about Pike appropriating Cisco culture, but I actually think this was intended to highlight how out of his depth Pike was in this situation compared with Cisco, who was sort of the captain that Mbenga needs in this moment. Rat Tijinko was in this episode as well. Yeah, yeah. This really felt like it was in conversation with DS9 in a way that mm -hmm. most of Strange New Worlds is not. And so it's very funny to me that the people who say that Deep Space Nine was the greatest trek of all are really, really angry about that. I think... Well, again, they're wrong. <laughs> I've seen it compared with Duet and compared unfavourably with Duet, the episode about the man who claims to be a war criminal but is actually a different kind of war criminal. And the thing is, I hate Duet. It is the first of several episodes where Kira is required to forgive a Cardassian war criminal just because he feels a bit bad. And yes, he was a clerk in a labour camp. Do you know what Israel did to the, the accountant of Auschwitz, they put him in prison. I'm pretty sure he died in prison. So Duet feels like a really dated, wishy-washy 90s liberal sort of story in a way. Pike wants to still live there. Yes, yes. That is the, the episode that Pike wants to be in. And Mbenga is going, no, we are in season six of Deep Space Nine. This is my sixth season. You're in your first season and you're probably <laughs> never going to grow beyond that. Right. As we talked about last week, yeah. Pike is set in his ways and he shows no interest mm. in growing mm. out of it. Mm. Zero. Before we move on from tone, I just want to highlight that this is very much a, a MASH tribute episode. And Absolutely. MASH, as a, a movie and a series was very much, this is a comedy about the horrors of war and also we're not going to shy away from showing the horrors of war within the constraints of 1970s television. Right. And there are little things like the pad with Mbenga's war record notes that he was stationed at a mobile armament surgical hospital. And I actually think that Chapel's hair in the flashbacks is a mm -hmm. reference to how Margaret Houlihan wore her hair a lot in the series. Because frankly, they could have put it back in a ponytail or a tighter bun. The loose low bun is very specifically a Margaret look. And I think that was intentional. Right. I mean, Tensity in general, Mega mm. in his like bathtub, all of that yeah. was straight out of MASH, all yeah. of it. And the drop at the beginning was such a like helicopter, jump out of the helicopter type homage, I guess, the transporter version. Yes, the computer reporting transports incoming felt like radar hearing the helicopters. Absolutely. I firmly believe that there is like a mess tent with an illegal still 
Also, the Clint Howard character, Martinez. Right. Felt, yes, he felt very much like Henry, the first commander of MASH, who was, you know, really informal and not really into being there and was ostensibly in charge but really deferred a lot to Hawkeye. And his mixed metaphors yeah. were so such a, again, such a deliberate choice. I was like, this is referencing something that I don't know. Yes. But it's yes. definitely referencing something. I've only seen <laughs> MASH once, movie and series. So I feel like there's a lot that went over my head. But also I think there's a lot. Was there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I love that. Right. I love that this is an episode with literary references and Shakespeare with the Athos system and the Prospero system and mm-hmm. referencing things outside of Star Trek. We were talking in our last episode about how Strange New Worlds is very self-referential and this made the universe feel big again. Mm-hmm. So this episode is still about identity. Yes. Literally. Yes. <laughs> Straight up. Actual identity, mm-hmm. the secrets between mm-hmm. the two main characters there, Benga and Ra, and how they are both ghosts yes. and they're both the Butcher of Dagal. It was very cleverly done. I think that this is an episode that I'm going to watch many times and mm. I'm going to get new things over and over again. It definitely feels like a rich text for your depictions of PTSD in media yes. project. <laughs> exactly. Um. Because it is very referential to previous media mm. and yet also is such a breath of fresh air mm. in it- terms of how the traumas are depicted. Yeah, I think it has an honesty that Star Trek has not allowed itself to have for a while, right. for a few years now. And you have the war movie cliches, the the young soldier going, what are we doing here, Doc? And then going off to die. I am looking forward to listening to the Greatest Treks episode on this because Ben and Adam had a war movie podcast with Bean Dad and I think that they will have a lot of literacy in that genre and will be able to explore it. Whereas I'm like, oh, war movie thing. Cool, cool, cool. And also that they've been on the wait of Babs is the best actor in this series mm-hmm. that doesn't get to shine enough mm-hmm. and you know he's usually a background supporting yeah. character you know we've been saying that it's a little questionable that they're turning him into war doctor mm. vigilante and then in this one we, we get to see that whole actual story and to see him dealing with mm. the personal trauma, not just the trauma of being in the war, but the, the personal trauma of being the ghost. And that just puts all the others in perspective. I mean, it retroactively makes that bad episode better <laughs> because I can imagine Mbenga, he wasn't just reluctant to embrace, mm. you know, his warrior-ness mm. in that episode. And, and Pike, who clearly does not get it. That episode makes that episode worse Cement. for Pike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cements that Pike is completely clueless as to what his officers actually went through at all. Mm. So it's just like, wow, Mbenga has been carrying this around for so many years and his, mm. his last log entry where he just basically says he can't be fixed is, is heartbreaking. Mm. And there's just a lot in here. Yeah. 
I am still uncomfortable with the framing of the lead black man as this amazingly violent warrior. I think this episode specifically explores that and the impact it has on him as a person. So I feel better about it in the context of this episode, but I'm still kind of looking at the writer's room on mass and going, guys, did you think about how this would look? And I definitely think that it is significant that this episode was written by, I believe it was Davy Perez, who mm-hmm. is Mexican-American. And so things like the doomed soldiers, Alvarez and the young guy from the moon, are Latino and Black. Does not feel accidental this time. No, it feels very deliberate. Those mm. choices, it's like, okay, this kid who looks enough like... Mbenga, that he could be related. That was on purpose. Mm. They cast this on purpose. And I feel like an earlier Trek would not have made that a black kid. (laughs) Would have made that a, like, little, scrawny, redheaded Mm. white boy. A white boy from middle America, yeah. Exactly. (laughs) White boy from the Midwest. I think the face (laughs) of the American soldier has changed. And since the war on terror, it is mostly poor black kids being recruited into the army as cannon fodder because it's an opportunity to get a career and an education and a life if you survive it. And then if they do survive it, then like Mbenga, they're just released into the world with no support, no mental health support. So I have a son. Yes. He just recently turned 18. So he's been a senior in high school for the last year. And he is trans. My son is trans. Mm. He's proudly trans. I got no phone calls (laughs) when he was identifying as a girl Mm. from the army or any recruitment. Almost immediately upon identifying as a boy, I started getting phone calls from army recruitment. And... You know, I am a single mom. Mm. I do not make a lot of money. (laughs) We're not in middle America. We're very much in blue Northeast America. Mm. But it really felt like, and they don't give up. (laughs) They they keep calling. They keep sending postcards. No matter how many times. I mean, uh, you know, the most recent one, I answered the phone and they said, this is so-and-so from the National Guard. And I wanted to talk about your son's future. You know, what's he thinking? Because we we can offer all these scholarships Mm, mm. for, you know, if you join up. And I said, to be determined, but not joining the National Guard. (laughs) I just, your son is such a sweet, thoughtful, artistic kid. I cannot... (laughs) imagine him in any kind of military structure and this is you guys in new england and imagine imagine how much greater the pressure must be in the south and in more impoverished states in that middle america Mm. where very few people live and they have very few opportunities to get out of there Mm. and they go after those kids and they stick them in the army and then they send them to dangerous places Mm. I was just thinking about that the whole time that kid was talking and the whole time, you know, in both of his scenes, in his scene with Mango, where he literally said, I joined Starfleet to learn. Yeah. Again, deliberate textual meaning. And 
then when he came back and Mango was like, wait a minute, I didn't mean that. This isn't what I meant. This is bad. Stay mm. here. Mm. Run away. Hide. Don't be a hero. And the kid was like, no, you know, I'm going to fight because I'm Starfleet. And yeah. he had like yeah. fully internalized that message. And he said he was a good soldier. And that made me think specifically of Lorca when he is essentially recruiting Ash, who is also, you know, very traumatized and yes. just out of a bad situation and addresses him as soldier. And basically, I feel like this war was a whole exercise in taking an army of geeks and nerds and weirdos and turning them into soldiers, literally a super soldier in Mbenga's case. And I have been thinking about this since 2018, and I'm just glad that maybe someone who makes Star Trek has also been thinking about this, because I really do think it's worth unpacking. Yeah, the good soldiers, the good soldiers follow orders, mm. and they had that also with the dinner. Yeah. And how it was like orders from Starfleet to Pike, and Pike's orders to Mbenga and Erica and Christine, mm. and that progression of in order to be a good soldier in order to be a good starfleet officer you have to go along with these orders even though they're bad orders yeah yeah i actually misheard and had to go and get the subtitles and read because i misheard it as a pike saying starfleet ordered that war veterans should not have have contact with Ambassador Ra. So no. I spent this whole episode thinking Pike had just decided to emotionally blackmail his crew into joining them for the dinner. And so my apologies to Pike. I spent like two days being really mad at him. Actually, this was a Starfleet order. And can I just say right. Katrina Cornwell would never. First of all, no apologies to Pike. <laughs> because I would like to point to the scene in the Avengers, mm -hmm. where Nick Fury says, yeah, I heard your orders, where your orders are bad, so I'm not going to follow them. Yeah. And that's what Pike should have done. Now, obviously, in the later scene with Uno, we see that he's incapable of that because he doesn't get it. He yeah. straight up doesn't understand. <laughs> Even though he's literally reading Mbenga's mm -hmm. file at that point, he doesn't understand anything about what happened. And that compounds the issue with... Starfleet, because Starfleet also made that decision. Starfleet yes. purposefully kept Pike and the Enterprise out of the war mm. to preserve his naivete. Yeah. And that was also a bad decision that should have been countermanded. Right. Katrina was <laughs> like, we needed to save the best, and that was you. Nope. And I'm like, is he though, Kat? Is he? Even if he is, don't do that. That's no. not how that works. No, because then, and I think this is true of Starfleet Command as well. Like Pike, they are incapable of empathising or imagining a scenario outside of their own direct experience. And I feel like this is why Katrina Cornwell mm -hmm. had to die, because it seems like she was the only admiral with first-hand experience of combat and as a prisoner of war I'm not saying that she made particularly great decisions because I don't think that's true and I love her for it but she would not have allowed this to happen I think she would have been on the this guy is untrustworthy and I am going to use him as far as I can without depending on him train she pushed back against Lorca for 
promoting Ash to his security officer. Because she's like, that's a bad idea. What are you thinking? Yeah, yeah. Stop collecting people. Right. (laughs) Who are traumatized Mm. and need to go deal with their stuff, not be thrust into battle by your side and and be like wholly beholden to you as the person Mm. who gave them a chance instead of the bad life that they were stuck in. Right. She was also the one saying, I don't think Michael started the war, but it's really bad for everyone else's morale that you're keeping her around. Like, Starfleet had one competent admiral and she blew herself up to save the Enterprise and I really have to ask if that was worth it. (laughs) I have been asking this since 2018, so. But this is not an episode about Katrina Cornwell. Let's talk about Mbenga as the ghost and his secret past as some sort of... Your query is, is Joseph Section 31? And I don't think so. I think he was a doctor in Starfleet Special Services, a Mako, a Marine, whatever ground and hand-to-hand combat force Starfleet had after the founding of the Federation. The Makos, for those of you who did not watch Season 3 of Enterprise, were Earth's Marines who were stationed on Enterprise and... Blah, blah, blah. That is what I think is Joseph's background. But he made super soldier serum. I had starkly orders, as far as I can tell. And I don't think that's something you tell a Marine to do. That's something you tell Bruce Banner to do. Yeah, I could go either way on the Section 31 thing. It's just that, like Chapel says, for Black Ops, these guys talk really loud. I know Section 31 are not actually very good at their job. Well... But. but so the the Andorian was one of the ones who yeah. was who Trust. was one of the Black Ops, and he knows Mbenga and his friends mm. with him, and knew mm. he was the ghost, and knew he was so like. I'm just saying, I think Mbenga is Black Ops of some kind. Doesn't oh, have definitely. to be Section Thirty One, but he's Black Ops of some kind. Oh yeah, yeah. The only reason I want him to be Section Thirty One is so he can be in a movie. <laughs> it's literally the only reason. <laughs> I want the oh, Section 31 movie to be Jojo and Bashir and Mbenga. No yes. white people allowed. Exactly. Exactly. So here's my theory, mm. which is specific to the Protocol 12, I think is what it's called. Yes. So, again, it's it's still green, which I think is actually an homage to Marvel, to, mm. <laughs> to actual mm. Super Solar Serum, because... This was cut out because we like recorded it and then it didn't get recorded. And so I'm going to say it now (laughs) that in the Marvel universe, they create super soldier serum to make Captain America during World War II. Mm -hmm. And then they lose the formula and he gets stuck in an ice cube and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So (laughs) they spend the time in between when Captain America disappears and when Captain America's frozen body is found trying to recreate super soldier serum. Mm. And that's what Bruce Banner is working on when he accidentally creates Hulk serum. Yes. (laughs) Which is green. (laughs) And which turns him into the Incredible Hulk and starts all sorts of other problems. (laughs) So I think that in actuality, it's green because it's a Marvel reference. I completely However, agree. <laughs> I still believe that since it is now canon that Manga literally made it, 
And the only thing we knew about him pre Strange New Worlds was that he was a he specialized in Vulcan medicine Mm. and therefore did a lot of uh, research on Vulcans. And we now know that it's super adrenaline. Adrenaline. It's shooting yourself up with adrenaline, which is what happens during Pond Bar. Oh, yeah. Therefore, (laughs) that is totally fake Ponfar super super serum (laughs) that might not actually be created from Vulcan blood, but was inspired by Vulcan blood. I feel like you have just come up with the best worst premise for what is basically sex pollen fic. Also, I'm so glad that we looked at this very serious, complicated episode and went sex pollen fic. We are serious podcasters. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's why people listen to us oh yeah absolutely. we will always <laughs> list at least four other fandoms <laughs> and then come up with an amazing trope <laughs> truly it does bother me that <laughs> fandom has looked at this episode and i mean specifically tumblr fandom the shipping end of fandom and instead of going Wow, why isn't someone kissing Mbenga better? He is so beautiful time. and often naked in this episode. I, I, I think some nice healing sex would fix his trauma. Instead, they're going, wow, Christine is too broken for poor baby Spock. We should break them up. I can't handle it. Mm-hmm. At all. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, first of all, Mbenga needs all the sex. Like, isn't that what ship fake is made out of like traumatized war hero yeah people need to be throwing themselves at him to fix him and then he like turns them away but they have this amazing physical relationship but they can't have feelings like come on it is all there the hurt is there where is the comfort where's the comfort i need the comfort Mm. it hurts to watch I I do want to say, I don't know if in the middle of the rant about not having enough Mbenga having her comfort sex, but I'm going to say it here before I forget Mm -hmm. that I have two friends who are actual war veterans Mm -hmm. who both said that they had to watch this episode over three or four times. Like they had to stop it and go do something else for a little while and then come back that they couldn't watch the whole episode at one time it was too much and it was too real that is absolutely reasonable and i think that if we had screeners and if i had been able to watch this episode in advance i would have tweeted out a warning or something because it's very full-on and i'm just gonna say oppenheimer had a warning at the beginning for flashing lights and strobe effects and so where's paramount's excuse yeah so I paused specifically to find out what the warnings were because, you know, they have at the top, they have at the top, like, you know, T and then what, why it's a, a T. And the only thing it said was violence. That doesn't narrow it down. It was like, no, no, that mm. doesn't cover it, guys. No, mm. no. This is extremely visceral, up-close violence. Like, I do not have combat experience, shockingly, or PTSD, but I found it really hard to to watch this episode and had to watch it a second time this morning to make sure that I had taken everything in because it was dense with ideas and dense with feelings. 
which is amazing. But none of this is a criticism, but I completely understand how actual combat veterans found it hard to watch. And that is a good segue into let's talk about the different representations of post-traumatic stress that yes. are in this episode. Because it was great. I love your observation here. Joseph has panic attacks. He freezes. He sees Ra and retreats to his office and is basically having chest pains and clutching himself and f flashing back. And it's mm -hmm. terrifying. And it happens again in the shower later yeah. on. I really empathised with that because when I am anxious, if I'm panicky, I get terrible mm -hmm. chest and stomach pain. Many people who have anxiety attacks think mm. that they're having a heart attack. Yeah. And it turns out that it's actually a panic attack. Yeah. <laughs> and Christine, classic Christine, erects a wall around her feelings. Flight. And literally runs away from Spock. Yeah. On more than yeah, one occasion. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's so ironic that she is in a relationship with a Vulcan. And yet he is the one who is more emotionally honest available and available yeah and i almost wonder if this is sort of the seed of their destruction that he can open up to her and she can't open up to him the opposite of spock's problems with tapring all oh, poor spock however that doesn't mean that she's horrible and they have to break up no like... no and i really appreciated the scene where they use their words and spock yes. says I'm concerned about you and I want to be there for you. And Christine says, I understand, but that's not what I need. And Spock respects that. Like That was the moment where I said, oh, we, they had this conversation in Discovery mm. between Michael and Ash. And, you know, Ash was basically saying, I want to talk about us. <laughs> I, want to, mm. I want to continue and I, I apologize for everything, but does, that doesn't mean that we can't be friends we can't be together mm. we can't continue right and michael was like i am having a lot <laughs> i am i am dealing with stuff that has nothing to do with you and i am not in the right place mm. for this and no yeah. <laughs> i am not going to be responsible for your feelings i'm not going to be responsible for our relationship i'm going to have nothing to do with this bye <laughs> and that was great in discovery and so i liked seeing it here again and then i when i simply wrote that down i was like oh wait michael and book also had that conversation too but it's like flipped yes and michael is coming and saying i want to help you i want to help mm. you and book is like my planet just blew up can you give me a moment yeah <laughs> okay. and the thing about the michael ash version is that michael has people like tilly saying no no you need to talk to him you need to maintain this connection and no offense to Tilly, who is very young at that stage and very inexperienced, oh. but she's kind of in the pike role where she just cannot get her head around what Michael is feeling. And no one is doing that with Christine. Spock right. doesn't go complaining to other people that Christine is freezing him out. And I know that if Christine tried to talk about this with Joseph, he would be completely on her side. Right. And she's right. Well, we'll get to Erica's PTS in a minute. But this is where I want to say that I just did a presentation on this. And so this is what I want my career to be is talking about trauma response mm -hmm. and how it's portrayed in different medias. And what I kept saying over and over again, because this is hard to understand. It's hard for mm -hmm. people to, to wrap their heads around the idea that a trauma response is awful. It's this horrible thing that is happening to you. It is a, a emotional reaction to 
a, a violent, terrible event. Mm. You know, something bad happened and your body is reacting in a certain way and your emotions are completely out of control and it, it results in a physical manifestation of that emotional dissonance, okay? However, just because it's terrible doesn't mean that it is not a healthy response. Your body has a trauma response mm. to protect itself. The mm. reason that people freeze or fight or run away is because they can't deal with the trauma and their body does something about it. And so it's not healthy, but it is a healthy response. Yes. It is a valid response. And that's really hard to understand. Mm. And so I loved that Christine couldn't explain it to Spock mm. that she she tried with words she tried with expressions and she just just he understood to a certain extent that she needed him to leave but he didn't understand why mm. and that's not her fault and it's not his fault it's because it's really really hard yeah and if you're not in the middle of it if you're not in the middle of an anxiety mm. attack if you're not feeling it yourself regardless of what it is the reason the trauma is someone could have the exact same trauma as you and they'll have a different trauma response and so they won't understand yours like why mm. are you freezing up when all i want to do is punch something right it's like when you eat something bad and your body needs to expel it really fast in my opinion vomiting is the worst thing the human body is capable of doing but sometimes you know better out than in and sometimes your trauma response needs to be expressed and i think the problem with the enterprise and also society as a whole is that it's really hard to provide safe and healthy ways for these responses to be expressed and for people to move on to the next phase of recovery. And yeah, Erica has a fight response. She gets angry, yeah. she gets outspoken, she is the first to leave the dinner party and honestly I have been very critical of Erica as a character, but I loved her in this episode. She, she was true to herself. Yeah. <laughs> and she wasn't wrong. Well, at the beginning, <laughs> when she's being, I'm going to say prejudiced about mm -hmm. Ambassador Ra, she is saying... Having not even met him yet. Yeah, yes. yeah. And she's saying he's definitely a double agent. He's working for the Klingons against the Federation. And that is where that's I think <laughs> and th yeah that's where people expected the episode to go but it's not true he is a different kind of enemy Erica's problem is that she has these natural prejudices and her experiences don't inspire her to work on them and I would be really happy if we got the episode where she had to confront her prejudices and get over them but at the same time, mm. I loved her scene with Mbenga outside Pike's quarters where they mm -hmm. agree to put their Starfleet face on and pretend for an evening that the war doesn't bother them. Mm -hmm. It felt like a much darker version of the scene with Pelia and Boimla last right. week. It was almost word for word. Yeah. 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 And I think it's the identity theme again. And that's also what Ra was doing. Yes. The whole time. I loved her stance in the dinner scene. Mm because Christine and Mbenga both said it under their breath that this was all a farce. Yes. <laughs> and they shouldn't be forced to go through with it. And Erica had just had enough. And she mm. was like, I'm going to throw this in his face and say, yeah, that's what you remember, but I remember it differently. Mm. And 
I don't want to sit here and listen to this anymore. <laughs> and it was like an act of self care. <laughs> and that moment, it's like, this was inevitable. This is why Pike mm -hmm. should have said, hey, instead of like compromising my officer's mental health. Yes. And to the mission. Prop up, to prop up your Klingon that you've decided to trust mm. for reasons, mm. even if they're good reasons. Mm, we'll get to that. How about instead we, we have people who aren't going to have that baggage, who aren't like, mm. why are we literally forcing actual war veterans right. <laughs> to be explicitly triggered <laughs> by seeing this person that was the enemy? I mean, in, in, in Christine and Joseph's case mm. he's literally the the face of the enemy that they <gasps> were stationed against like mm. what were they thinking for Oppenheimer reasons, I've been reading and thinking a lot about World War II and particularly the war in the Pacific with Japan. And if it's 1950, you don't let a bunch of Kokoda Trail survivors go on a sushi tour. Right. Just... Yeah. Just like, yeah. like again, to protect their mental health yeah. and the yeah. mission. Yeah. And like, Ambassador Ra, if he was sincerely a good guy, why would he want to hurt people like this? And yeah. why would he want to be hurt by them in return? Okay, so you you typed up the text here, what mm. was said, and it's like because there was a protest at his lat like yeah. The, yeah. the last stop on his goodwill tour or whatever it is that's going on here there were protests against mm. him and so that's why it was important to show actual war veterans like, interacting at the dinner table yeah which yeah. again the response you have to to protesters is mm. not let's erase them mm. by rolling out the red carpet on the backs of our officers mm. Mm. Like, this whole episode is the Federation as America, parentheses, derogatory. But this really yeah. felt like an, oh, no, this demonstration of democracy is very embarrassing to us. We're so sorry it won't happen again. It is infuriating. Yes. As someone who hates war, mm -hmm. and, like, doesn't... Okay, it's a time to talk about redemption and atonement and forgiveness. Yes. And repentance. Yes. Which are all different things mm. that are related. Mm. Mm. I am well known as someone who loves the villain changes into a better person. Yes. Yes. We are 100% a pro-redemption arc podcast. <laughs> However... But, and and the, the reason I didn't just say redemption arc, and mm. I, I used weird phrase that meant that, but, but so the reason I didn't use that is because that phrase, that term has become tainted for me mm. because when I say it, I mean something different from yes. what people hear. Yes. And so I've started calling them atonement arcs mm. as sort of an attempt to be more explicit about what I want, which is something where first... The person learns a lesson and is redeemed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that is an act of forgiveness on the part of another person mm -hmm. or the audience as a whole. We grant you the opportunity. But then 
And this never, this, I don't get this enough. This is, <laughs> this is where, this is where I don't get it enough and I want more of it. Then that person atones yes. for all of the atrocities that they have committed mm. for whatever mm. reason. Even if, again, they had quote unquote good reasons for it, they still have to go and say, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, like not to be like, 12 steps about it but that's one of the steps you go you make a list of all the people if you've hurt and then you go tell them mm. i know i hurt you i know that now i realize it and i'm sorry and they don't have to forgive you right fran described deep space nine as having a very christian attitude to forgiveness mm -hmm. where Kira is constantly required to forgive Cardassians because they feel a bit bad. I'm going to narrow that down further and say it's a very Protestant take mm -hmm. on forgiveness. I was going to say. Yeah, because my background is Catholic. So we have the whole confession reconciliation cycle right. where you acknowledge the wrong you have done and you seek forgiveness and you atone and you do good works to redeem yourself whether that's apologizing or some sort of more concrete amends there is a process of acknowledgement and repentance and atonement and right. i feel like a lot of protestant sects are just like well he says he feels bad about it so you have to forgive him and the other thing with catholicism is that forgiveness of another human is an ideal and Sometimes we fall short of that. We ask God to forgive because sometimes a crime is too big for a human soul to forgive. And that's kind of how I feel with Ambassador Ra. His crimes are too big for an individual or even a federation to forgive. Maybe in this context, the federation is God, but I'm not going to tell them I said that. So here's the thing. Ra could have become the person he wanted to be. Yeah. I yeah. believe in him. <laughs> I don't. But he would have to own up yes. to the reality of the situation. Living a lie is mm. just continuing the bad acts. Yes. I look at him and I see an opportunist. Mbenga broke in and killed two of his warlords and then the third one died at Mbenga's hands, letting Ra escape. And then Ra knows he can't go back to the Klingon Empire. He has failed. He has run away. He has dishonored himself. All he can do is go to the Federation and tell a story that they want to hear. And at no point does he tell the truth. He, right. I don't even think that he is particularly valuable as a bridge between the Federation and the Klingons, because obviously the Klingons are not going to listen to a word he says. Laurel right. would eat his heart. <laughs> All he can do is. I go, wish that happened. Oh, that would be so great. Lorel just warps him. Yeah, yeah. Stabs him in the heart and warps away. <laughs> like he's dead on sick day four. Lorel beams in, pulls his heart out of his chest, beams out, starting to munch on it. Daenerys Targaryen. Yes, yes. All. Like, all he can do as a diplomat is go around and meet Federation people and go, hey, right. I'm just like you. I'm completely assimilated. I hate yeah. Klingon culture. And that, Ew. It's uncomfortable, <laughs> but it's also not very useful for diplomacy because none of these people are meeting 
a person who follows Klingon culture. They're just going, oh, he looks like Kling- a Klingon, but he acts just like us. What a great guy. I, yes, exactly. Which is why this this is a whole, he's a figurehead. Mm. He is, I mean, he's a, he's fake. He's mm-hmm. a, he's just fake. Mm-hmm. And he's a con artist, basically. And even when presented with the truth, even presented with the reality, he's more focused on, you have to go along with my lie now, yeah. than anything else, than any, like, you know, wow you're that guy yeah i don't think he is as bad as gul ducat but i think he is like ducat in that he wants to skip the hard work and go straight to the bit where he's hailed as a hero and everyone loves him much like pike obviously pike is at a different end of the spectrum from gul ducat but in terms of men who don't want to do the work that's where i think they stand And it was really interesting to learn that they actually filmed alternate versions of the fight between Ra and and Benga that made the events of it seem more obvious. Uh, Mm. Because it is not clear that Mbenga killed him, but at the same time Mbenga opened a box with a knife in it and made that weapon available to both of them. I think at the least Mbenga is culpable, but... That is a grain of sand compared with the entire beach of Ra's crimes. I also saw a theory that it is in fact Chapel who comes in, sees them fighting, and grabs the knife and stabs him. I don't think that's the case because Chapel wears awesome. white. I know, I know, I knew you'd be into that. But the thing is, she's wearing white. That happened in one universe. Yeah, yeah. And I also believe she would have if she had had the chance. I mean, it's also one of those things where they are both medical professionals in sick bay. Right. right. <laughs> they might have been able to do something. Yeah, they're they just like, yeah. they're like, oh, well, I guess he's dead. He's bleeding out. <laughs> oh, well. I saw a complaint that, you know, redundant Klingon systems mean that one stab wound couldn't have killed him. But honestly, we've seen Worf kill guys with one stab wound heaps of times. My theory is actually that Ra killed himself. As Christine walks up, we see his hand fall away from the knife. And Mm -hmm. I think he realised that, in a sense, the gig was up. Here was someone who knew the truth about the killing of his men and could unmask him. And this was a way to get an honourable death, whatever that means to him, estranged as he is from his culture. And I don't think... And Benga stopped him, definitely didn't do anything to save him. But I, I could easily also be persuaded that Mbenga killed him in a fit of rage and panic and fear and a PTSD flashback. And it's one of those things where because it's uh, Josie and Christine and mm. we could learn more. When Pike said there will be an inquiry, but I'm sure we're fine. Mm. But we know that something happens <laughs> where Mbenga... <laughs> is not the, the chief medical officer anymore. Mm. Uh, so I was like, the fact that they brought up an inquiry, you know, something could come up. There could, there could be more to this. It, yeah. it might be the last time we ever talk about it, but there could be repercussions. Mm. But it's interesting that you said, you know, in a fit of, of a PTS flashback, and that could cover both of them. They 
might not even know that i mean Christina's clearly traumatized by the whole thing in the end mm. when she was like i was i was there and i saw it happen and this was a happen and she it's flat affect yeah it's you know she's staring at nothing she is not okay <laughs> and i am not convinced that she knows exactly what she saw either no <laughs> so no. it feels that everyone who was there and that's almost like they chose to not show it so that the ambiguity was there for the audience mm. but it also again like with the the flashing lights in broken circle it it puts us in the same mm. frame of mind mm. as the characters mm. who are dealing with it all they're seeing is a blur all they're seeing is you know bits and pieces of action yeah and it's not clear and so i think it's ambiguous for everyone on purpose mm. and i think there was a growing discontinuity in the flashbacks in that they start out being filmed in a fairly straightforward way and then by the time and benga goes off to do his mission there's a lot of close-ups there's a lot of cutting mm -hmm. it's harder to follow because it's they're frantic. there too yeah yeah mm -hmm. they're frantic and they're panicking and they're deeply traumatized and everybody disintegrates. <laughs> yeah. Like, Erica, we don't really see her after her outburst. I like to think that she spends the next two days in a warm bath. Yeah, good, with, good for her. Yeah, with a book and a drink. <laughs> but certainly, Joseph and Christine, as the episode goes on, they get worse and worse. Yeah. Again, they're not okay. Mm. It's a mess. And that is, again, it's really compelling. Yes. It's hard to watch, but it's really compelling. Mm. There's just so much here. And then we we get that scene with Pike where he says there's going to be an inquiry. Yeah. And he basically tries to get Mbenga to admit that he killed him. Yes. <laughs> Which apparently they're such old friends that they don't remember when they first met. That's mm. how long they've known each other. And yet Pike doesn't seem to know him at all. I think in some ways that's... <laughs> because Mbenga hasn't opened up. And Pike is a person who has the privilege of being an open book. And Mbenga and Chapel, in some ways, no one else on this ship has that privilege. Everyone yeah. else in the cast has a secret or a trauma, something that complicates them. And oh, Pike, really Pike has his pre-traumatic stress disorder, but he only seems to be able to empathise with himself. Which, as you said in our last episode, is merely sympathy. I'm going to call it self-pity. Speaking, however, of Pike's future, I just want to say that I think Ra is the best disability representation that Strange New Worlds has ever had. This does not make him a good person, but I really appreciate that he uses a cane and mm -hmm. I suspect part of the reason he went to the Federation was because he was injured and the Klingon Empire is not amazing with disability, as Worf will attest. Nope. Whereas with the Federation, they will fix him up and they will give him assistive technology and they will heal him. And he uses a cane, but he can still set it aside to exercise. He's still very strong and powerful. He's not defined by his disability. And no one suggests that just because he uses a cane, sometimes he's faking it. I support disability rights, and I also support Ra's disability wrongs. <laughs> so you were, you were talking about how the Federation is better at disability than mm. the Klingon Empire. And I was thinking, as you were saying that, so... Does this episode, despite the Federation being 
not great. <laughs> Does it present the Federation as objectively better than the Klingon Empire? I think overall, yes, because at no point in the war was the Federation killing children. And this episode does seem to understand that killing children is bad. Bad, actually. Yeah, radical. Yes, I think overall, part of the reason that the Federation was losing the war so badly was because (laughs) they are very, very bad at that level of ruthlessness that comes more easily to Klingons. And obviously... That's pretty much what Laurel said to Katrina. And the thing about the war without, the war within, is that Giorgio is going, hey... Have you considered attacking them? No, they had not. <laughs> they had not considered that. Mm, mm. Except for Mbenga. Who? <laughs> Who chooses to attack. Yeah. But only when he is pushed to the brink. When That's, Yeah, yeah. When all of these innocent people mm. have been killed in the name of just killing. There's mm. no reason to kill a child. There's no mm. reason... Mm. For that to have happened. And also... There's no reason to be, you know, bombing the hospital to begin with. No, but also Ra gave the order to kill Klingon civilians as well. He, you know, the rules of war don't apply to Klingons. It's hard. It, yeah. The war is... There are no good sides There are, in war. Mm. There are no mm. heroes. Mm. And... That's why it's kind of amazing. The Strange Worlds did a really good episode mm, mm. about a war, and that that makes that clear. Yeah, that while I think you're right that Federation is objectively better, mm. they are not objectively good. Yes, and actually, that's a criticism that I've seen of this episode. People think it's hopeless and that it doesn't depict a utopian federation and i have never believed the federation was a utopia right so again who's utopia yes and also like it's realistic i know this makes me like a weird star trek fan but i don't want optimism over substance exactly and a flawed federation is much more interesting to me than someone's and idea more of... inspiring yes yes i think it's more inspiring because if i look at the world as it is mm. and i say wow it's pretty traumatic out here i don't want mm. to see people who who exist in a world where trauma doesn't happen yeah because i don't believe in that i don't think that that could ever happen that's not the way the world works right and you have gene roddenberry in season three of tng saying you can't do an episode about a boy grieving for his mother because the humans of the federation at this time have moved beyond that sort of thing and it's like gene grief is fundamental to the human experience it's hard and it sucks but we have to go through it to be people Again, trauma response is a good thing. It's your body doing what it was made to do. Yeah. Anyway, I loved this episode. I watched it twice. I may watch it a third time. I think that Mbenga should get his shirt off more often and someone needs to kiss him. Yeah, we've been saying this since season one, but we really need Mbenga to have a romance. Yeah. Like a hot, sexy, sweaty romance. I want to see it. Yeah. I just 
you know, well lit mm. and and with an amazing soundtrack. I have to say the lighting in this episode was particularly great. I remember when I watched The Force Awakens and I was blown away at how well John Boyega was lit when so many mm. movies and TV shows mm-hmm, are bad mm-hmm, at mm-hmm. lighting black people. And I had the same thought watching this. Like well, again, when you said who's that? And he said, That's Joseph. And then they like panned over. Yeah. <laughs> and then I yeah. was like, I'll do that again. <laughs> 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 let's let's stay here for a little while. <laughs> mm. It's going to get bad, but it's, it's starting off on a high note. Gorgeous. Yeah. Whew. I just think that they yeah. are really wasting Babs. I think he's a tremendous presence. I think he is by far the best dramatic actor in the show and has a gravitas that... And you said up here, where's his Emmy campaign? Yeah, yeah. Normally when people call for Star Trek actors to get Emmy nominations, like the whole thing with Picard season three. I was like, "Mm, really? But Babs, I think I would see Babs go head to head with the entire cast of Succession and it would not be embarrassing for me as a Trekkie. (laughs) You know, assuming that entertainment awards ever happen again, given that everyone's on strike and rightfully so. Where is Katrina Cornwell right now? Katrina Cornwell is unconscious. (laughs) She's been in a coma mm-hmm. for the past three years. Yes. Three or four, I don't know, years. Mm-hmm. And when she wakes up and finds out what they've been doing in her name, mm-hmm. she's going to be very upset about it. Mm-hmm. And she's going to wrench control back <laughs> and say, what is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Because Katrina Cornwell has seen Klingons at their best and worst. Yes. So she knows a little bit more about this. So yeah, I I can't come up with a quippy, happy, nice little story about this episode in Katrina (laughs) Cornwell. She is just absent. You know how on The Greatest Generation there's a sound that plays when they have the same uh, drunk Shimoda? Yes. That's exactly what I was going to say for (laughs) Kat's future. She's brought back to life or gets back to Starfleet or whatever, and she's looking around going, can I set up an appointment with Admiral April? Because I need to yell at him a lot. I love him, but there's so much yelling that's about to happen. So much yelling. (laughs) Yeah. Also, I think she is very pragmatic and would definitely use Ambassador Ra for the Federation and to advance Federation interests and probably her own interests. But yeah, but you know what? She would also accompany him yeah, onto the Enterprise yeah. and be there and like make sure all that nonsense didn't go down. That's the thing. She wouldn't let him out unsupervised. And... Like, like bad ideas mm-hmm. all around. Mm-hmm. Where's his handler? Yeah. He has no Starfleet handler. It's up to Lon. Yeah. No, this is wild to me. Where is his staff? Even Sarek travels with a little guy. Or a man. Staff! Where's the staff? Mm. 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 Or literally, literally a Starfleet handler. Because even if he's not a, you know, even if they want to say, oh, he's reformed, he's a reformed war criminal. He's still a war criminal. Right. He was literally a general in the war against the Federation. He needs a handler. He needs a bodyguard who has also been given orders to take him down if necessary and feels very conflicted about that and it feels terrible that he failed in his job and Mbenga may or may not have killed him. Like, where's that guy? 
like clearly the, the Federation watched Star Trek. Like the Federation, <laughs> you know, council. They watch Star Trek and they fully believe in the utopia and they and they don't they make all these bad decisions because mm. of it. Mm. No, I think that's it. The Federation in this era is complacent and thinks they're doing a great job. They're like, oh, they're like the Barbies at the beginning of Barbie. They really think Barbie land is a utopia and has saved That's the right. world. They fixed everything. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome, ladies. And Benga is the Barbie who went to the real world. And that's what he tells Pike. Mm. You don't know my life. Yeah, yeah. I think Pike mm. in this situation is just Ken. Because <laughs> I promised that I would make this about Barbie. Mm. And so good job making this about Thank Barbie. You. <laughs> because... The only thing I came up with was that that Pike is Ken, yeah. and he keeps, you know, saying, "But the the Federation is great, and it's the United Federation." And mm. Benga and everyone else is like, mm. "No, no, mm. Chris, mm. <laughs> you have to be yourself, separate <laughs> from that. Mm. You're not just the Enterprise. You're not just the Federation. Mm. You're not just Starfleet." Like I realize this is the opposite message of what you got in discovery where they told you that literally you are the best of mm. us and that's why we had to preserve you but that was a bad idea mm. and now we are coming here to tell you you need to have a personality separate yeah yeah maybe actually where katrina is in this episode is regretting that she ever told pike that Right. And the only other person who believes so wholeheartedly in the Federation at this point is Ahura, who is 22 and fresh out of the Academy. So, you exactly. Know. She's allowed. Yeah. This is her job. Her job is Federation. Please do the outro before I get further into my Barbie nonsense. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes when we can do that. You can follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, and Blue Sky, all of Antimatter Pod. Our Twitter is permanently disabled. Because we lost the password. <laughs> and on Mastodon at antimatterpod.104.social. Yes. Yay! <laughs> if you like us, leave a review wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And please give us a shout out on any of your socials because there are so many now. You never know when we'll find a new listener. Right. And join us next week when we will be discussing the next episode of Strange New World Season 2, Subspace Rhapsody. I have listened to many musicals and I no longer hate musicals on principle. So this is big progress from me. Also, I now know almost all the words to Ladies Who Lunch, and I'm concerned that Subspace Rhapsody may not be as good as Sondheim.